Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Well, today we're wrapping up the book of Revelation, and as we're looking at this book, we're realizing the power of it, and I feel like we're going to be, um, not have the blessing of the visitation of this friend during this series that we've been having. It's been such a wonderful privilege. I can't help but think how more and more every day this book becomes relevant. I'm so glad that God is not up in heaven um, wringing his hands and fretting and worrying. Someone said to me after the service this morning because of what we preached about last week in the new heaven and the new earth that God is going to consume everything with a fire to purify the effects of the fall. And they said to me this last week, the word just kept going over in my head, only live for things that cannot burn. Amen. And I thought, well, that's a good word right there. Nice and concise. You know, I think that in a lot of ways, it's really easy to get fearful right now, and it's only because our affections are misaligned. I think that's really the root of any Christian who has fear right now, misaligned values. Because everything that's truly valuable in your life and my life, it can't be taken away. Amen. Focus on Jesus, and you realize that you're living a life in which this world, nothing in it can touch it. And that's such a blessing. I mean, the, the, it brings a rock solidness to us. Last week when we came together, actually, when we talked about the new heaven and the new earth, we also realized at the same time that the Lord was bringing um, a judgment in heaven against all the dead. And that those whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life, that they were cast into the lake of fire. They were judged according to the book and according to the books. It's really important to understand that at the resurrection of the dead, at the great white throne judgment, you, every man will be judged and uh, according to whether their name is in the Lamb's book of life. And I want to ask you today, do you know that your name is in heaven's book? Because it's going to be really important. That's the first thing. Secondly, they're judged according to books as well, which is the records of their own personal behavior. Because the judgment that is eternal will be not only measured according to whether we bowed our knee to Christ, but also it will also be um, measured, the level of that, whether heaven or hell, will be determined also by the way a person behaved, which is really kind of amazing. I can't tell you over the years how many people have said to me, I didn't do it because I was afraid I'd go to hell. How do you like this country we're living in that doesn't believe in hell anymore and doesn't believe in God? How do, you, how do you like that? Hell is a restraining force. The power of truth is not that it just works for you individually, but it also saves the world. Thinking about the last week and all the things that are happening and all that's going on in our nation, and every day you get up and you find a new shooting, and, and what do you realize the value of life, and the value of life is lost. I mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania where the parking lot of our high school was filled with trucks with gun racks. The problem wasn't the guns, they weren't shooting the schools up. The problem was the nature of the culture. We have created a culture of death right now, we have. Even these young people, listen, 
The victims are the victims, but even the shooters are the victims of a culture that has rejected God. And now, why would we expect there be a value to life? Thinking about the fact, and it should be, we should be mourning the loss of 13 children and two teachers. We should be. But in 2020, 12,000 unborn in the state of Colorado alone had their lives ended. Why, do we, why is it right to cry for 13-year-olds but not weep for the most defenseless among us? Where have we lost everything? Why is one death a death to be mourned and another one one to be ignored? And I think that what's happening... I'm, I'm being a little free-spirited right now, okay, so bear with me. I've been thinking about the culture of death that we've created in America and why young people don't value lives anymore, their own or the lives of others. And thinking about the last statistic was that 12,000 children were aborted in the state of Colorado in 2020. That is 250 a week, it figures out. And... And thinking about that, I know that all those children are brought into the very presence of the Lord. Because Jesus said, allow the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. When a child dies, it, it goes to heaven. But then I was thinking about the fact that, I, and maybe it's more than an imagination, but it's really been rocking me. I just imagine Jesus saying to these children, but did my church defend you? And I think the answer is no. And then I went a little bit further in my imaginations. And then the Lord says, but what about my pastor, Jim Tarr, in Basalt? And at best, it could be said, he gave us lip service. I, I think that the reason why we study the book of Revelation is so that we might understand the immediate and very quick unfolding events that are going on in the earth today. We're going to find in Revelation chapter 22 that the Lord says, Behold, I come quickly. And some people have said, Well, that, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years. He said, He come quickly. No, but quickly is not about a time, it's about the nature of when He comes. Yeah. The Lord is saying, when, when events unfold, it will happen quickly. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're seeing alarming things happening very quickly. Yeah. And it also reminds us that the Bible calls us to an, an understanding and a faith of the imminent return of Christ that it can happen at any moment. And the Lord would call us to that. The longer I live, the easier it is to believe because when I see the nature of the human heart, it's hard to preach last week about the lake of fire and the eternal destiny of people. And some of the most compassionate people in the world struggle with faith in God because of the idea of human beings in hell and why would God do it? But the longer I live, I I ask myself this question and I'm indicting myself in all of that. Uh, And this question is that, why is the entire state of Colorado okay? that we just passed a law that you can terminate the life of uh, the unborn to the day of their birth. 
because we are all comfortable with it. And it reminds me of the fact that in order for God to bring his universe into the perfection he always intended, the judgment had to be poured upon the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so the people could turn to him. But the truth of the matter, without Christ, we all deserve judgment, even in our own mindsets and attitudes in the state of Colorado, even in all of our churches. I do believe that to do nothing is also to be complicit. And it just reminds me of the fact, the nature of the fall of man in my heart It's, it's something that's really important. Why do we study the book of Revelation? Why do we talk about the lake of fire? Why do we talk about the judgment of all men? It's because it is a restraining force upon the earth, and it reminds us as believers of, of what we deserve to have we not given our life to Jesus Christ and how important it is for us to align with him. We, it, this is our opportunity for, for an eternal existence. Earth's experience is the window of opportunity to make to have a chance to choose between good and evil and to choose what's right and thereby determine our eternal existence it's mind-boggling isn't it but god loves too much that when revelation chapter 22 the lord says that there's coming a day when god will dwell among his people which is the intention of God from the very beginning. So we're going to wrap it up today, and I just took a window of time that I'm not going to get back. <laughs> so we're going to have to run. But you have been called to live different in this world Amen. and to value different things. Yes. Churches don't preach about hell anymore. Oh, you can get a gazillion sermons on five, five biblical reasons to find happiness. But no one will talk about the reality of the righteousness of God and the holiness of God and the price that was paid in order for us to be redeemed and the warning in our message as well. You know, it's so important. And so let's read in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be be any night, and they will not have need of the lamp of a, need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that all the purpose for which the Holy Spirit gave this revelation would be made known to us today. And Father, I do hide myself behind the cross that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. And Father, it's not about it's not about the institution of the church; it's about the kingdom of God. And Lord God, what you're doing on the earth today. So we yield ourselves to you. Let the Holy Spirit bring conviction and awareness and encouragement. And even in the middle of this, Lord, the joy of the Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I moved here from the state of Florida. And I'm not like the guy who thought that, you know, um, 
milk originated in a carton. I knew that there were cows. But the truth of the matter is, is that I was, I was amazed as I walked up to the base of Chair Mountain with a friend and saw that the whole mountainside was, was running with water. And then I realized the value of water, believe it or not. I mean, I, obviously I knew how important it was when you were thirsty, but I realized the life-giving nature of, of water. In the state of Colorado, it's not like milk from a carton. It's not like water from the faucet. It's actually, we understand the importance of, of fountainheads and, and the heads of rivers and, and how wherever it goes, it brings life. Also for Pam and I to live by the river also brings an awareness that daily you can have a reminder. How well are we doing on the water table here and the levels of our river? So it's a constant reminder of this value. So when it gets particularly low, you feel particular concern. But the Bible talks about the new heaven and the new earth, that when we enter into this place where it's perfect and there's no curse that's left, we just read that, that there is going to be the new city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Remember last week we saw, it's gonna, it would, the city of the new Jerusalem will cover what would be equivalent to half of the United States. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, and also 1,500 miles wide. Now, whether it's a pyramid, I'm, I'm sorry, high, whether it's a pyramid in its height of 1,500 or whether it's a cube that would actually reflect the um, Holy of Holies that was in the tabernacle, we don't know completely. But the Bible is saying here that this new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven is the place that promised, that Jesus promised to all those who follow him. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The believer has abiding on him today, the understanding that he's going to live in the Father's house forever and forever and ever. But not just access, that we won't be trapped there, we'll have access to the whole earth, which will become actually the center of the universe from which God will fulfill an eternal and ages upon ages plan for the far reaches of the universe about which you will be a part of, but you will dwell in the dwelling place of God. There will be no need for a lamp and there'll be no need for a, the sun in that city, the new Jerusalem, where you as a believer are going to dwell because the light of God and the light of the Lamb of God is going to shine through that city. You might ask yourself, well, how, will, how could that possibly be? It's because the walls are of such fine, pure gold that they will be clear as crystal. So we find out that the light of God is going to fill every space, every nook and cranny and closet of your home that's waiting for you in heaven, built by the hands of Jesus. How amazing is that? From the throne of God, the Bible, I want to remind you that in Revelation chapter 21, it says that there's no temple there's no temple in the New Jerusalem when it comes down out of heaven. Why? Because we build temples for gods that are absent. We don't build temples for gods that are present. So the thing about this is that there won't need to be a temple where you will go to in order to worship a God that you cannot see. No, you will be able to see at any moment the reflection of the glory of Jesus and of God the Father. At any moment from your dwelling place, you will be in a place of continual and perpetual worship. You say, what does worship look like? We're going to look at that later. It is going to be you entering into the good pleasure of God being poured out upon you for ages and ages and ages. How amazing is that? There is no temple, but there is the throne. 
the throne of God will be in the new city of Jerusalem and out from the throne of God, which, you know, for all of us, the headwaters are so important in the state of Colorado. The headwaters of the river of God will be from the very base of the throne of God. They will come forth. The idea of water and of God's presence is found throughout the scriptures. Jesus found a woman standing, was sitting by a well, and there Jesus ministered to her. I can give you water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. It is a water that is satisfying because it carries the very essence of the throne of God and of the presence of God. The water that is going to fill the new earth is going to be water that comes from the throne of God. There'll be no, the Bible says, seas. There'll be no salt water. No, all of the earth will be filled with the fresh water that flows from the throne of God. There'll be no oceans that are salt, but there will be bodies of water because of the water that flows from the throne of of God. And you can imagine, can't you, the throne of God being at the pinnacle of a 1,500 mile high city that can you imagine it just cascading from the throne of God, cascading for 1,500 miles, the waterfalls and the beauty? Doesn't waterfalls just, don't they just dance with life, right? The whole picture of the presence of God. We sometimes invite the the river of God. You'll hear someone pray, Lord, let your river come and flow in our service. What are we talking about? Not the literal river, but we are asking for that which flows from the throne of God to come and bring life wherever it goes, right? Lord, bring your life into this service. So we understand that God could do things without things like water, and it talks about the tree of life with leaves, that if you eat of it, you'll be healed. We understand that God can bring healing without using leaves. But we also understand this, is that God has surrounded himself with beauty and creation that actually will reflect the very nature of God. So water will be in God's eternal plan, this beautiful water of life. So can you imagine that the Bible says right here that there's going to be a great boulevard, and on the side of the boulevard will be planted the tree of life. So maybe this beautiful city, the New Jerusalem, which you will call home, We'll have a great boulevard that, that makes its way through the city up to the throne of God. Because the Bible says when there's a new earth that the nations and the kings of the nations will come together and they will bring the abundance and wealth of the nations to God. They won't take it to a temple. They will take it actually into the very presence of the glory of God. So imagine that from the throne of God, there's a boulevard, and maybe you can imagine as well, because it is imagination, it's not in the scriptures, but that there's going to be a river that is going to flow. It will come from the throne of God. So picture a boulevard with the river cascading down through the middle of the boulevard, and that there are trees that are planted along the side of it, and there you're going to find that God has planted the tree of life. The tree of life, the very tree that was in the Garden of Eden, it's going to be in heaven. When the Lord says in this passage right here that Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end, you're going to find out that in the scriptures, it taught us that at the beginning there was a tree of life and at the end there will be the tree of life. And we're going to look at that today. It says that the people will eat of the tree of life. There will be fruit that it will produce 
It will produce a different kind of fruit for every month of the year. Now, and, the, and understanding that this will bring healing to the nations. Now, there is no curse. Why would there be a need to eat the fruit that's off the tree? It's merely because God has placed this tree, which is the symbol that he is the one that sustains life and there will never be death again. And this river and the tree, we find, will bring uh, the reminder to us, but the, the retention of life. And if I can just divert for a moment, I think that this is also a picture that in the trees that are even on the earth today, God has placed remedy for any human disease that's out there. There's wholeness and healing and life that's provided for us. But we're finding out that this is going to be in the city. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, I want to read an account for you about the tree of life that is going to be forever and ever on the new earth. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made heaven and earth. Now no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. And the Lord Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became Four rivers. So can I just remind you, in the very creation, at the beginning of all things, God mentions that from the Garden of Eden, which was the place of the presence of God and of the tree of life, flowed a river that actually was going out into the rest of the earth. We also find out that God planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was a tree that they were forbidden to eat. But he also had planted a tree called the tree of life that we're going to see is going to exist forever and ever on the new earth. Now, what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It was mankind was not meant to know the difference between good and evil. Adam and Eve didn't know what evil was. They didn't know about death. They didn't know about the lack of health. They didn't know about want and starvation or any such thing. But the devil promised them, hey, you know what? If you learn about the, the nature of good and evil, you're going to be like God. And that's what God's really afraid of. It's the very same promise of religion. Religion just says, this is good, this is evil. And if you know the difference and practice good and you resist evil, you will enter into eternal life. But actually, it's the path of death. Because righteousness and eternal life is only found in God himself. And so as we're looking at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve actually ended up eating it. And then becoming like God means they understood once and for all that there are consequences to disobeying God. And they have ended up being universal. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the Lord is saying eternal life is offered freely. It's not offered through religion. It's not offered through favor. God is in debt to no one. Salvation, that if you want to be a child of God and to know the Lord, that is offered freely. So the tree of life and the ability to eat it freely 
is an offer by the Lord. But then something happened when Adam and Eve sinned. So let me read for you Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more cunning than any of the animals of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God really said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the tree fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you'll certainly not die. For God knows that on the day you eat that from it, it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see the promise of Satan is if you know the difference between good and evil, you will not die. It's a false promise of eternal life. It is the very root of the false idea behind every religion other than the faith that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Know that the rules that we have in our religion and you'll get eternal life. And it's completely missing the mark. When the woman saw that God, knowing good and when I'm sorry, I got ahead of when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. See, you know what this is? It's spirituality without a cost. People pursuing spirituality, revelation, special knowledge, secrets that are there out there in the universe, finding your own deity. It's the promise of religion that if you follow this course or this philosophy, you'll be wiser, even wiser than God. She took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Then God made them coverings out of animal skins. Now, how interesting is that? When Adam and Eve had the knowledge of good and evil, suddenly they were aware of their nakedness, or what does the knowledge of good and evil, what does religion do? Makes people feel inadequate. Adam and Eve got involved in religion, the pursuit of knowledge of good and evil without God. They were aware of their nakedness and they tried to use fig leaves in order to cover their nakedness, but it wasn't adequate. Now we know that fig leaves, actually clothing made out of leaves, could cover nakedness, but it couldn't cover the nakedness of the human heart. It couldn't cover the nakedness of what happened to their soul. And so the Bible says this, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Your conscience cannot be washed clean unless you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. He has this tremendous ability to make you aware that you are right with God by giving you his presence. Even though you know that you're not perfect, the blood, the shedding of blood actually cleans your conscience. So Adam and Eve couldn't cover themselves with fig leaves and God had to take the lives of animals in order to cover them. Now, animals can't clean your conscience, but it was a picture of faith in the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ in the future. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might reach out with his hand and take fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, let me explain this to you. When Adam and Eve, and this, this story is true. It's not an analogy. When Adam and Eve ate, Eight, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Lord says, man has become like us in this knowledge. And God's greatest concern was this, is that they would perpetuate their sinful condition. And this is how it was going to happen. Having received the revelation of the difference between good and evil, God said, now if they eat the tree of life, they will live forever. 
and that mankind forever will be in his broken condition. As we watch unfolding events in the earth today, we do not want this world to continue forever in its broken condition, and God doesn't either. So God had to remove Adam and Eve from the tree of life, and in order to do that, he removed them, and he had to place cherubim at the gate to the Garden of Eden. Why? Because as I told you, um, the Garden of Eden represented the very presence of God from which the river flowed. It was a place actually in the future where if people wanted to get the counsel of the Lord, they could go to the cherubim and receive counsel, and they could hear from the Lord. That was before the scriptures. So you say to me, but what happened to the Garden of Eden? Where is it now? Well, it was destroyed by the flood. Actually, that, the whole earth was destroyed by the flood. And somehow, some way, God who was able to do all things said that the tree of life would determine that the tree of life would be planted in heaven. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. Part of the preparation for us is to dwell in the city where there is the tree of life, where Adam and Eve, before the fall, didn't have to worry about what's right, what's wrong, what's good and evil. All they had to do was enjoy the presence of God. And that's what eternity is going to be like. When Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, he's saying, I am the tree of life at the beginning and I'm, at the, I'm the tree of life that's at the end. I am eternal life for all of you. Isn't that amazing right there? It's amazing that God is letting us know that the original purpose of man will be fulfilled. And I'm just going to stop for a second and ask you, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Because only those whose names are written there will enter into this place. So being the fact that there's no temple, the Lord is saying that in this place of eternal existence, to those who in this life, honored the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord says, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, because the former things have passed away. All of the curse of the fall of Adam and Eve will be removed from the earth all the way to the outer reaches of everything that God has created. At that point, Christ is going to change his title. Did you know that Jesus' favorite term about him was called the Son of Man? He would often refer to himself as the, the Son of Man. Not a Son of Man, but the Son of Man. In other words, he was set apart from all the other sons of men, but he was still the Son of Man. He identified actually with us because the first time he came was to save us. So he said, I am the Son of Man. I am the man, the perfect one who was able to die for the sins of the entire world. But there's coming a point when there's a new heaven and the new earth that Jesus then will not be, his, the, the preeminence of his existence will not be in that expression as the son of man or identifying as one of us, but actually come into the fullness of being the son of God. Now I want to read that for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23. So here's what it says. Everything is according to its own order. So God's got an order on the earth today, even though it looks like there's chaos. It says Christ is the first fruits. What does that mean? It means that he is the one, the first one to come from the grave to never die again. Lazarus came from the grave, but he died again. Christ is the first fruits, the one who defeated death 
once and for all. Also, when I grew up in Pennsylvania and we were out roaming in the woods, you could get the, the wild blackberries and the first fruits. The one in the middle was always the biggest one. You know, Christ is the preeminent one as the Son of Man, the first to conquer death and never die again. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruit. After these, those who are Christ that is coming. So the Lord is saying Christ is the first fruit, but if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are the second fruit. We are the second fruit. We are the ones that are going to enter into the journey of the first fruits into that place of eternal life. But then it says this, Christ is the first from the dead, but then there's going to be a rapture of the church where those who believe in Christ will be the second fruits and caught up. And then it says this, then when the second fruits are resurrected, it says, then comes the end. The end will come. Now listen further. When he hands over the kingdom, Jesus hands over the kingdom to our God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. I want you to know, even though the world's going crazy right now, Christ is continuing to reign. He's bringing all authorities and powers into his dominion. He's still conquering. The prophecies prophesied that concerning him, that of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Actually, the government of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't going to stop at the earth. It's going to go to the farthest outreaches and outposts of the universe. So Christ is going to, it says this, concerning the existence of Christ, he will continue to exist in the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Jesus will what he's doing, he's going to do forever. And he's going to spread peace wherever he goes. It's so beautiful and it's so amazing. But he must reign until he has put his last enemy under his feet. And what does the, the Apostle Paul teach us? The last enemy will be death. So this week, we're so aware, we're so aware of the fact about the loss of life. But at the, the same time, the Lord, we ask ourselves, how can there be both in, in this world a God and so much death that's going on? Because the Bible gave us an advance warning. The last enemy to be defeated will be death. When the last death happens, the Lord says this, I will cast death and the grave into the lake of fire and that it will exist no more. So Jesus will reign until there is absolutely no indication and evidence and reality of separation from God or of death. It will be put down. When Christ finally defeats the last enemy of humanity, which is death, it says this, he, he, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet, all things are put in subjection, it is clear that this excludes the Father who put all things in subjection to him. So in other words, as Christ is bringing everything in dominion in the entire universe, he's bringing it under his authority, and the Apostle Paul says, but obviously he's not bringing the Father under his authority. The Father will always be the Father. And then it says this, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. So the Bible is saying this, is that some, right now Christ is the one who is furthering the kingdom of God and conquering everything that, that is opposed to God. Jesus Christ himself is the one who continues to fight and to make war on behalf of the Father who sent him. And then the Bible says this, then Christ will subject himself to the Father. It doesn't mean he's lesser. 
To subject doesn't mean he's lesser. But what he's saying, his role as being the son of man, then he will step in the role as being the son of the father and he will give to the father everything that the father gave to him to conquer. Are you still with me in all of this? This is why, you know what? People who struggle is, is Jesus who he said he is? Or is Jesus the only way? It's because they haven't looked into the scriptures and how amazing and how every um, T is crossed and every I is dotted. There is no other upon the earth who has ever presumed to be able to come to this level of authority and power. And also this, this stuff is way too beyond us for any human being able to be able to make up. This is the will of the one who pre-existed us. Now, here's what I want you to, I just so I can tie a bunch of scriptures together for you. I want to read for you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, because here's what it says. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you feel greatly loved by God? Yes. yes. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings. Is there anybody else here that was dead in his wrongdoings or her wrongdoings? But he made us alive together with Christ. And then he says this, by grace you have been saved. In other words, you received your salvation. You were a wrongdoer, but you received salvation by grace, which means freely given. You can eat of the tree of, the, uh, uh, the tree of life freely. That was a principle in the Garden of Eden. So if you've come to Christ, you came to him by grace. You were raised up with him and we were seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now here's the phrase that I want you to understand. This is why you were saved. This is the phrase that explains why you are a Christian today. So that in the ages to come, the new heaven and the new earth that will last forever, where you will have access to the trees that give the, the life, the everlasting life, so that in the ages to come, the Bible actually talks about it, the, the ages upon ages, in the ages to come, here's what God's gonna do with you. He will show you the boundless riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did Christ come? So that forever and ever and ever he could show kindness to you. Yes. Kindness. Yes. What grace have we received? What has God given to us? So I can't stop there. It's maybe a good breaking point, but then I just it goes further. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is not good and evil. This is not of yourselves that you're saved. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. You were saved to do the right thing. You weren't saved to survive. You weren't saved to cope. You weren't saved for the sake of your marriage. You weren't saved for the sake of your wealth. You weren't saved for, oh, there are blessings that come. But I'm saying you were saved to do the good works of God. 
It's so clear here. And we're going to find that further in Revelation 22. In Revelation 22, verse 5, there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign forever and ever. And the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem will reign forever and ever. Verse 6, and he said to me, these words are faithful and true. You can believe them. You can put stock in it. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, do not do that. I am the fellow servant of yours and of your brothers, the prophets. And of those who keep the words of this book, know this, worship God. And so the angel said, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of the book for the time is near. You say, wait, it's been 2,000 years. How could it say the time is near? Because Daniel, in the Old Covenant, when he wrote these words, he was told to not reveal them. He received revelation that the Lord said, shut it up, it's not time. But now the book of Revelation is saying, John, everything you're seeing, write it out, because the day is here, the day is now. You say, but it's been 2,000 years. But in the scriptures, this is known as the last 2,000 years as the day of the Lord, the day of salvation. So the Lord is letting us know these things are going on right now. This whole battle of good and evil, about the battle between the Christ and the Antichrist, it's here right now. It's here. So it says this, the time is near. Let the one who, this, this verse, if I just gave you this verse and I didn't tell you it was a scripture verse, you'd say, Pastor Jim is an apostate. We need to stone him. This is the, this is the kind of scripture verse it is. Here's what, the, oh, here's what the angel tells them. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Let me explain that for you a moment because this is why we studied the book of Revelation. The Lord said if you're a filthy, then be filthy. But if you're righteous, be righteous. Jesus says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus didn't, Jesus just cast the truth out there and says, you know what? Obedience is up to you. I can give you the word, but you've got to decide whether you're going to follow it or not. He's saying, this is more of a warning to the Christian than it is to the unchristian, because this is a warning to the people who are pursuing that they would enter into God's eternal kingdom. The Lord says this, there's only two kinds of people that are on this earth. There's the filthy and there's the righteous. Don't fool yourself. If you live filthy, you're filthy and keep being filthy. But if you're righteous, then be righteous and continue to do righteous. It's a call for you and I to understand that we cannot enter into the spirit of this age. We're not allowed to be a part of this world. The Lord is telling us, if you're clean, then be clean. Make up your mind. I know this is a really hard word today, but this is why we're going after it. The entire book of Revelation, it wraps it up so that we can understand. The Lord is, is saying, you know, even the Apostle Paul reminded us that Christ fought sin <clears throat> to the point of death. And the Apostle Paul was as, but none of you have had to fight it to the point of death, so keep on the fight. 
None of you have had to fight it to the point of where you shed your own blood. Christ fought sin in the world to the point where he actually bled and died from it. And the Lord is saying, that's the point at which you are supposed to go, if it's asked of you, to fight against the struggle that's within yourself. In the book of Revelation, what do we find over and over again? The Lord says, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, what do you have to overcome? First off, overcome the sin that's in your own heart. The lust, the greed, the unforgiveness, the unkindness. Conquer yourself first. If you're going to be righteous, be righteous. Don't make a truce with the world and the signs of the world that are working in your own heart. It's a call, a call to arms. It's a call to battle. The entire book is. To him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. I'm telling you, the Lord's calling me and he's calling you. Overcome the sin in your own heart, the sin in your own behavior, and overcome the world. In all of its lust, in all of its greed, in all of its unkindness, in all of its murderous spirit. And you say, oh, I'm not involved in the murderous spirit. Can I remind you that in the state of Colorado, we have even the churches unusually and unacceptably comfortable with the murder of the unborn. And that evil doesn't always pick up the abortion equipment. Evil can also manifest itself in allowing it. And you go with that where you want to go. The Lord says, behold, I am coming quickly. I'm going to read that phrase again. I'm sorry. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. You can only find holiness by receiving the holiness of Christ. Once you receive it, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And the prayer of every believer needs to be this, God, let me be holy even as Christ is holy. I want to know the will of God for my life. This is the will of God for you, that you would be conformed to the image of his son. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward, are you living for the reward? Jesus said, my reward is with me, to reward each one as his work deserves. In the new heaven and the new earth, just as the unbeliever will be judged about whether his name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It says he'll be judged according to the book. Is your name written in the book? But it also says that they will be judged according to the books, the book and the books. In other words, the Lord is letting us know this, is that there, to not know Christ is to not receive the holiness that will allow you to enter into God's eternal kingdom. But also, all men will be judged according to the books, which is a record of how they lived. So that if someone didn't, live for Jesus Christ, their destiny is not with the Lord. But also, those who live particularly wicked will enter even into a further level of judgment that will come against them. But the same is true of those who are going to enter into the kingdom of God. Christ comes with his rewards. How you and I live as followers of Christ, if we are living holy because he made us holy, the Lord is saying this, your eternal expression of life in the eternal kingdom will be determined even by how we lived in this season where we could live and choose between good and evil. So I'm encouraging myself and all of you, live for Christ today because someday when you're in heaven, you're gonna see there are particular rewards for those who in this season of choice chose the Lord in all behavior. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes 
so they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. What washes our robes? It's Christ. Now, here's what it says. Now, I want you to think this <laughs> because I think that we think that this is a warning for the unbeliever, but I actually believe it's a warning for the believer. The unbeliever could care less what's written in the book of Revelation. So it says this. Outside the gates are dogs. Outside the gates are dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. The Lord's calling people dogs here, and you might be really uncomfortable with that. I am too. But it's not new to the scriptures. When a woman who came from a nation that didn't respect God asked for a healing, Jesus said, should I take the bread off the table that belongs to the children and throw it to dogs? Jesus, you're calling this woman a dog? No, he wasn't, but he says, should you take what belongs to children and give it to dogs? Also, the Lord said this, don't cast your pearl before swine and don't, cast, don't throw meat to dogs. Why is God referring to human beings as dogs? Why in the book of Revelation that says, does it say that those that don't enter into God's eternal kingdom are dogs? Because there's something about dogs. And listen, Colorado, we all love our dogs. Right? But the truth of the matter is, the dogs hold no, dogs hold no regard between what is holy and what is profane. Love them all you want. But the Lord actually says this, those who do not value the things that God values are like a dog concerning the meat or a pig towards a pearl. That would cause me, if I was sitting here today, to just say, Lord God, have I in this life valued the things that are valuable to you? Because the truth of the matter is the Lord says you're behaving like a dog, a thing that just gets born and just dies and doesn't give a rip. When you think about all of that, when the Lord said, don't throw your meat to dogs, don't throw the meat to the dogs, it's actually referring to the, 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 the meat of the lambs that were being sacrificed in the temple. The Lord says, you wouldn't throw that holy, sanctified meat to dogs. The Lord says, when you live a life that is in disregard to the holiness of God, you're acting like a wild beast. Also numbered among them, he says, there's dogs. And that, see, you know what? There are so many parts of the scriptures that we don't, we don't preach anymore because we, we just want to fill our pews and we just want to be able to continue and, you know, make, do the 1950s Christian church lifestyle. That's what we want. And that's why we're not engaged in the battle. That's why 12,000 babies are killed in our state every year. That's why, if you watch the headlines this week, the Lord says that the immoral, the sexually perverse, the sexually immoral person and the murderers will not enter in. If you watch the headlines this week, you saw the, the drag shows for the children, you know, that were very sexualized and all that's going on. What, what is the devil doing? The, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. In other words, there's going to be a quick unfolding of events and it's going to include sexual immorality and murder. They are tied together. Where people do not fear the Lord and they don't value the life, they, they mate like dogs. Covenant doesn't matter. Multiple relationships doesn't matter. They mate like dogs. When you despise life, when you despise the Lord, 
when you, do, when you don't value life, when you create a culture of death where every child grows up and he, he, they live like dogs now. I'm sorry, it's not brutal, it's truth. And the Lord is saying, you know, if you're holy, be holy. You're going to live. When I come quickly, there's going to be unfolding events, and the spirit of the age cannot be in your heart. And we have to contend for every inch of ground. And the, the Lord is saying, see, like I struggle when I preach about hell because I don't want it. I don't want it to exist. But I also realize this, is that there is within the nature of the human heart the reality that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, there's not, ever, not even one. And, and rather than just say, well, I can't believe in that kind of God, I would just advise you, believe it or not, I would line up with the God who Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body only, but fear the, fear the one who can kill the body and also has the power to cast into hell. That's the word of Jesus. And we've got to live for him. Murderers, idolaters, sexually immoral, sorcerers, which is new ageism and connecting to the earth to find spirituality and it's about control and, and, and also liars. And, and if you don't know about lying, just watch the news. And then in verse 16, it says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things for the churches. He's saying this is a word to the church. It's for the church. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. I don't have time to go in that this morning. I have it in my notes. But the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without cost the life of the salvation of the Lord. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. You know what? The, the, the Lord's saying it's about this book. This is about the beginning and the end. This is what it's all about. So serious is it that the Lord says you will experience the judgments of this book if you remove it in its power or authority in the life of the church. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The Lord says this, when the spirit and bride say come, he will come. You know what? The day in which we live is causing those who follow Jesus Christ to say, you know what, the things of this world have grown strangely dim. Even for me over the course of the last year and some of the things that have gone on in, towards our church, the, the, the rose has fallen off, the bloom has fallen off the rose in this valley in some ways for me. You know, it's so easy to make the Roaring Fork Valley our home. But the truth of the matter is, it's not our home. Our home is on the new heaven and the new earth and in the new Jerusalem. Just want to encourage us all to live for what really matters. It's Jesus Christ himself. I want to encourage all of us to live as holy. I can't do it and you can't. It's Pentecost Sunday. It can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that sanctifies us. We're going to 
not be visiting this friend anymore on Sunday mornings. It's gonna be sad, but the truth is this, is that I hope that in a day like this, you and I will continually go back to the book and remind us ourselves of what it's all about and what we're living for and what we're sacrificing for. Hold on to your marriage. No matter how hard it is, if you're holy, do what's holy. Raise your children in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because you're holy. Raise them in the holy. Stand up for everything that you believe in. Lift up your testimony. Raise up your voice. Don't let anybody force you to do anything that the Spirit of God tells you not to do. Why? It's time for holy people to act holy. Can you say amen? Let's all stand up this morning. Father, I thank you for the power of the book of Revelation and the revelation that came by the angel of the Lord. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. We worship the Father. We worship the Father who sent the Son to bring all things into subjection, to bring down the murder, the death, the unforgiveness, the immorality, the brokenness in families and in homes. Jesus, you are conquering and we conquer with you. We declare today that we live for the Lord Jesus Christ and for him alone. The Spirit of God is inside of us, equipping us, empowering us, reminding us of the truths so that we don't forget who Jesus is. I pray, Lord God, let today be a day of sanctification, of setting apart, of determination in each one of our hearts, Lord God, that we will live for you. I pray, God, that we won't decide to do this in the flesh, but we will do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray for a church that would rise up and say, come, Lord Jesus, come. A church that will rise up and desire the kingdom of God above everything else. And Lord, it won't be a church that, that hunkers down and gets all fearful and afraid when times of trouble come, but it'll be a church that rises up with the shout of the Lord and declaring that we live for the kingdom of God. Father God, I pray for young and old that are here today, God. Let every day count for you, and I ask it in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here today that was, that's not sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? It's the most important decision that you can make. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And I want to give an opportunity today for you to make it sure that you've that you have come to Jesus Christ today. So if you want to know him, I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula, and I can't save you. The Lord just says, if you believe, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ says, Lord, I'm going to close in prayer of a confession of Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're wanting to say, I'm including my prayer with that prayer today, Pastor Jim, as you close in prayer, I want to be included to give my heart to Jesus Christ. And then I'm gonna ask you to step out of your seat and come forward in front of the church. I did it when I came to Christ. The Lord said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the angels in heaven. I'll confess you before God. And so you won't have to say anything when you get up here or do anything, but it's just, now's not a day for clandestine followers of Christ. Now's a day for people to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need him today, would you lift up your hand and say, Pastor Jim, today I want Jesus as my Savior. I want to know that I know that I know that I have settled the issue once and for all and that I have entered into eternal life. Anyone here? You feel that tug on your heart? That's the Holy Spirit. Don't resist it. Don't take that tug for granted. It might not always be there. The Lord is calling you today to come to him. 
So if you need Jesus, would you lift up your hand just saying, Pastor Jim, today I want to be saved. God, I thank you for everyone that's here today and I just bless them in the name of Jesus. I bless their going out and their coming in. Wherever they go, let them be the light of Christ, the salt of the earth. I pray, Lord God, that you would protect their home, protect their heart, protect their marriage and let them live righteous in this day. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are going to be folks here that are standing in the front. Please come forward. If you have any prayer need today, come forward. Let them pray for you. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. And go out there and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.